Introducing the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. With 25 million copies in print, learn how the Don't Sweat Wisdom can help you achieve greater mental health and better communication with your family, friends, and coworkers from a beloved teacher. Rediscover your passion, joy, and self-compassion to awaken your most vibrant life. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. So let's begin by taking our golden pause. Wherever you are, if you're driving, just keep your eyes on the road. This is all about just tuning into the breath and becoming more present in the body. Wherever you are, if you can, sit down, sit comfortably with your legs uncrossed, your hands open on your lap, and just begin to breathe. Close your eyes if you're sitting and just breathe and picture sunlight as you breathe in, sunlight going to every cell of your body, to the tips of your fingers and toes, to top of your head, throughout your entire body, just infusing your body with sunlight. And as you exhale, just let go very deeply, let go a sigh, let go all the tension you feel in your body, just let it go. Breathing in love, exhaling fear, Breathing in sunlight, letting go of tension to be here, present, right now. Place your hand on your heart. Spend a moment and think of something that you're incredibly grateful for. Gratitude is the most heart-resonant emotion that we have. Fill your heart with gratitude. Helps you resonate with life in such a beautiful, peaceful, healthy way. Spend some time in this gratitude, soaking it in. Breathe in sunlight again and just let go and open your eyes. Oh, doesn't that feel so good? Today, the topic for this podcast is going to be about bravery. I'm preparing for a speech that I'm giving next week for the Titan Conference given by Robin Sharma. And part of my talk is the five lessons of bravery I've learned through all the things the past seven or, well, it's been almost nine years since the past nine years have taught me. And the nine years I say are my mark of when Richard transitioned and my life began um, on my own with my girls. You know, the truth is Richard was the anchor to our lives. Like he really was. He was the male anchor. He was the captain of our ship. And when he died, it, it left me at the helm. It left me as the captain, and I didn't necessarily know how to be a captain without him. And I was navigating the waters of stormy grief, but not only for myself, but for my girls as well. Well, several things happened in our lives those, that first year and those years following. A lot of drama happened, and I have to think about that and ask, like, how did so much drama show up for me? 
And there's a very deep, deep answer in my heart and soul, many deep answers. But I go back to that fact that Richard was our anchor. And there's just a lot of things that I had to learn. There was the lesson of discernment. Like he was a very discerning person, clearly, and had protected us with his discernment. I, on the other hand, was more trusting, and I guess I felt so protected. I was on the naive side of life. So while some people might say, wow, you know, she really wasn't sweating the small stuff. It really wasn't. I wasn't sweating the small stuff because I was living the big stuff. However, I will say that, you know, there's a point at which all the things that happen in our life, there's a point where I have to take personal responsibility for my part. And I have to look at all the messiness of the things that happened and, and say, gee, like, Chris, why did this show up? What did this show up to wake you up to? What role did you play in creating this reality? Because we don't like to think of it like that. We don't like to think that we're creating our own reality, right? But for some reason, sometimes things show up to teach us so much. They teach us how strong we are, how capable we are. They teach us to stand on our own two feet. Just 10 months after Richard died, I was getting on a flight to Italy. I was supposed to be seated with my best friend. I was going to a program called The Path of Love. I, my girlfriend lost her passport at the airport, and I boarded the plane anyways, and I, I sat next to a man. I said hello, and after I got settled in my seat, he turned to me and he said, you don't know anything about divine consciousness, do you? Well, I thought, wow, I sure do. And while my best friend was supposed to be seated on this flight, and I was even supposed to be in business class, but I got issued an economy plus ticket for some unknown reason. I thought to myself, maybe this is why the divine sat me here. Maybe this is why I'm here. I'm supposed to have this conversation with this man. So I proceeded to share too much about myself. I proceeded to share that um, who I was and that I was headed to Oprah after I got back from the Path of Love. We were doing a national tribute for a book that had come out, that was coming out, An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, a tribute to my beloved. And I was raw and I was open and I was so light. And I was living with one foot in divine consciousness and one foot in this reality. I was living where Richard was and I was living where I was. I was living on the earth. And I noticed that there was some odd things about this person. I did. I asked him, well, why are you here? Like, why have you been in the U.S.? He was, we were traveling to Italy, but we were flying via Heathrow, London. And he said, oh, I'm in, I've been following Bruce Springsteen. And I said, what do you mean following? He said, I said, like a groupie? He said, oh, kind of. I then asked him, you know, where do you live in Wales? Oh, I live with my parents. And I said, well, how old are you? I'm in my late 20s. And I thought, hmm. 
And he had a little bit of a nervous tick and he didn't have quite the social cues I was used to. There were some odd things I noticed, but I didn't have the discernment to recognize that I was sitting next to a serial stalker. How would I know? I had had hundreds of conversations with people on planes before. I'd always been open. I'd always been kind. How would I know? Well, for seven years, this man stalked me and the girls. He had the delusion that he was to marry Hannah. He lived under the delusion of a psychic reading he said he had where the psychic told him I was his future mother-in-law and that he would meet me on a plane. I don't believe that ever happened. I believe that it was his delusion. It was his separate reality. You know, Richard taught me a long time ago by saying that, you know, the only difference between insane people and sane people, and I would say, what, why, what, what's the difference? He'd say, well, insane people believe the thoughts they have. They really believe that their thoughts are real. They believe that if their mind tells them to do something, that they absolutely have to do it without thinking. They believe that it's so real that they would not think it if it weren't real. He said, An, a sane person will question their insane thoughts. A sane, a sane person will say, that's, that's a crazy thought. I would never act on that. It's not that sane people don't have crazy thoughts. I mean, it's true that one out of five people in a corporation think about hurting one of their coworkers. That's what the research shows. That's a crazy thought. But do you think one out of five people would ever do it? No, because they're not insane. Well, for seven years, this person stalked us in, in about a hundred different ways. Um, in a hundred different ways, he, every day, he penetrated our lives with his presence through social media, through phone calls to my family and friends, through impersonating me and the girls in every social media platform, to creating 30 aliases online to penetrate everything he could about us and to defame me and Richard in any way he could. And yes, it was horrendous. And yes, I definitely lost it in moments. I definitely did. And I, at times, I just, I, I was filled with anger. I was filled with rage. But I knew I was dealing with insanity. I knew I was getting a peek into the dark side what it means to be insane, this person was showing me. And you know, deep down in my heart and soul, I felt his prison. I felt that he was the one trapped. But I did decide I was going to stand. I did decide that I was going to be the calm, the captain of this ship, and I was going to anchor my family in safety. And I would do what I had to do to build a case against this person, wait patiently for the day that he threatened violence on me and my family. And then I would know that I could go to the FBI and they would help me if they could. Now, remember, over the last 10 years, there hasn't been any laws really protecting people. Like now they're just coming out with laws of protection for this kind of harassment, this kind of emotional terrorism. Oh, yes, and I have to mention he was blackmailing me too, but of course I wasn't paying him any of the money, but he was demanding money from me. 
He was doing all sorts of things, breaking all sorts of laws. Yet it was an international case. He was sitting in a dark basement in Wales. And I had to press forward with tenacity and patience while we um, pursued this international case. I can't say that I'm happy to report this. I can't say there's any cheer in this. I can't. I tell you after he was arrested two years ago, almost two years ago in February, and I felt such relief at his being arrested, and he did stop. I didn't see much sign of him, if at all, no sign of him in those next year and a half, in that next year and a half, but he went to court in the Crown Court of England, and he pled guilty to both stop, both counts of stalking. And now the stalking laws in England included online stalking. He pled guilty to those counts. And his attorney pled for him to get treatment and to have a suspended sentence. And the judge said, no, you know, you, you did this protracted, this long-term seven-year campaign against these women. And, and it, and it, it was detrimental to their lives. No, you know, you, if you would go to your doctor and you would take your medication, perhaps you would get a suspended sentence, but you show no signs that you have that ability to do so. So he gave him four and a half years in prison. Now, I never can say that I wanted this man to go to jail. All I wanted was for him to stop. All I wanted was for him to stop. But the way I see it is that the message in the mess is that he goes to prison because then people know that they can't harass people online, that they can't bully people, that they can't cyber stalk and penetrate somebody's life just because they have a computer or an iPhone or a device that allows them to do that. It's not okay to impress your will onto others using all of this communication. It's not okay to terrorize people emotionally. It's just not okay. And I hope with all my heart that this man gets help. I hope with all my heart that his term in prison serves him well and that he finds the message in the mess. And I do forgive him. I do forgive his obsession. I forgive his insanity. In that way that he doesn't know, I can forgive him. And I can let go of fear and let go of all the fear I feel and fill my heart keep my heart resonant with love. Am I grateful for this lesson in my life and for my daughters? Well, I can't say that I'm filled with gratitude for it, but I can say that I've learned a lot. And I've learned how to be brave. And I've learned how to keep my heart open anyways. I still talk to people on flights, but I do so with more discernment. I do so with a more careful consideration. I do so with a more careful examination about who I'm speaking to. 
I hope that if you've had something like this happen in your life or that you feel betrayed or bullied or in any way that you realize there are things that you can do to change this situation. And, you know, it is the hardest part about being in the public eye is, is facing the criticism, facing those people that are filled with hatred. But, you know, there's also this way that you can stand with courage and you can stand in, in who you are with authenticity and humility and grace. And that's what I hope that I represented. And I hope that I represent the woman who did what I had to do to, to protect my family, but did it with love and did it with forgiveness. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you come back again. Thanks for listening to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Visit christinecarlson.com to receive 30 days of Don't Sweat Wisdom delivered to your inbox. And remember to subscribe to this podcast now to receive Don't Sweat Wisdom from Chris every week.